Aloha. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Northwest Woodworking Studio Podcast. No, we are not broadcasting from Hawaii today. This is a shout out to my uh, my friend Joel, the astronomer. He's the one who got me into this mess. I'm kidding, of course. It's not a mess. And it was my choice. Uh, people ask me, well, so you must have taken shop class in high school. You must have started at an early age. Nah. <laughs> Couldn't be farther from the truth. I was uh, I was going to go be a literature guy, teacher, maybe a writer. I don't know. I was going to try my hand at uh, um, a more heady lifestyle. And I realized that uh, I had all this energy and I had all this need to, to be working. And um, so I went to a college where there were a lot of... Uh, there was a variety of folks, and it was small enough that you got to meet them. And I started out at the University of Illinois with 30,000 students, and yeah, it's kind of an anonymous place to be hanging out. But uh, where I went to college, a um, little community college out, out west, I was uh, uh, mixed in with all sorts of uh, different types, and many of them turned out to be physics majors. And physics majors had this very odd way of looking at the world because they would look at it from a macro perspective, you know, the galaxy, the universe, the sun, the stars, all this stuff. And then from a micro point of view as well, you know, atoms and subatomic particles. And and uh, it was just a very different way of looking at the world. And, and then they also did experiments where they blew stuff up or tried to make things happen or watched why things didn't happen. And so they were using their brain, but making stuff at the same time. And I thought, well, this is really pretty cool. So when I uh, when I got out of college and got my my degree, my literature degree, it was um, it wasn't much use to me. I wasn't ready to go on and uh, get another degree and another degree and end up teaching English at uh, some little some other little community college. So I decided. That uh, my friend Joel was, uh, he had graduated, thinking about astronomy as a physicist. And he was uh, playing around with uh, metalworking in his garage in a small house in Portland. And I thought, well, I don't want to be a metalworker. And he's doing that. So, you know, what if I tried my hand at woodworking? What, you know, my grandfather was, was a carpenter. My dad did some, some carpentry and had, had built a little furniture himself. And... And as a result of that, I never wanted to have anything to do with it. Uh, he was a hard guy to be around. Uh, so I never learned a thing from him about uh, carpentry or building furniture. I was just sort of told to hold this. Don't move. Why are you doing it that way? And he had a, uh, a, a rigorous approach to his, to his help. Uh, so it, that wasn't something that I was uh, terribly interested in doing. And yet, down the road. Uh, I'm thinking about what sort of future I want to have. I'm on my own. I've got to make some money. I've got to make a living for myself. And I thought, well, you know, if I built furniture, that wouldn't really be like having a business. Pause for effect. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, it, of course, is very much like having a business. And you are in the midst of the economy at the whim of its currents. Uh, but it's also a place to be 
uh, sort of swimming around to continue this analogy to be swimming around in it without uh, without a lot of fuss. It was uh, the seventies, and I was uh, in Portland, which was a very cheap town to live in at the time. And I was able to uh, put a few tools together. Uh, my dad gave me a couple of his old tools, and I had a little money left over from my uh, my grandmother gave me a little something, and I uh, put that into tools. I don't know what the hell I was doing. But I ended up uh, buying some tools and building stuff. And I built uh, first a bench out in the garage and adopted a standard to which I still adhere today. So I, I built a bench, and then I got up on it with my boots and jumped up and down on it. So that's what I do with, <laughs> with all my pieces now. No, I'm kidding, of course. I'm kidding. But that's that was my standard then. Well, if you can jump up and down on it, it's built well. Oh, there's so much to learn. But I started out as a, uh, you know, someone who was interested, willing to try. It made no sense. It made no sense to do this because I had no acumen for it. I, it didn't seem like I, you know, was going to be any good at it. And um, the requirements for being a furniture maker, patience, accuracy, hand skills were none of the things that I would have put on my resume at the time. Not a one of them. Not a one of them. But I thought this was uh, an interesting an interesting choice. It was something so completely out of character, and I needed to remake myself. It was time to do something that was, that was different. And so deciding on this course made sense because it made no sense. And... You know, I'd studied those those types of philosophies in college. I was familiar with the uh, anti-hero. Off I went, uh, self-taught. And it's the long, slow way, as I tell my students, of, of learning a, a skill, a trade, an art, a practice. Um, teaching yourself means that you have to come up with your own standard, the way you hold yourself at the bench. You don't know if you're doing it right until you do it enough times and realize, I'm not getting good results. Let's change this. Uh, So much better to have someone to look over your shoulder and say, look, if you did it this way, look how much better the results would be. But at the time, uh, the only place I could get an apprenticeship was in a kitchen cabinet shop, and I didn't want to do that. I'd had some uh, some jobs over the years where I I knew I knew that these were not spots for me. I used to do construction work in the summer. My dad could get me jobs, and you know a lot of it was just sort of standing there holding the shovel up. I'd be right at home working for the city of Portland, um, and it was sorry, uh, city of Portland, this the city that leans on its shovel. There were. Um, Days, weeks spent just, you know, shoveling dirt from one hole to another and then back to the other hole. And it was sort of mindless stuff. Uh, I wasn't uh, crazy enough to get involved in in that uh, line of work, making roads and bridges and stuff out of concrete. And yet, after college, uh, I got a job. Um, after, After I left town for a little while, I worked as a mechanic, and that showed me very quickly that I was not cut out to be a mechanic. And uh, I tried um, working in the forest with a chainsaw in a thinning operation, and that was hard, hard, hard work. That was that was tough work, and that I lasted a few months, but that was tough. And so that was out. 
But uh, I found a, found a guy once uh, in a parking lot, and he had a wheelbarrow on the back of his pickup truck on his rack. And I thought, well, this guy must be in the trade somewhere. So I walked up to him. I said, you looking for help? And he said, well, yeah, might be. And so I started working for Harvey, and Harvey poured concrete, flat work mostly, not too many foundations, just sidewalks and driveways, sidewalks and driveways, sidewalks and driveways. And the city was starting to grow, so there was plenty of that work, and Harvey was a good guy to work for. Um, hard work, sort of mindless, gave you a chance to think about uh, where you might want to be. It wasn't a career choice, hauling wheelbarrows of sand around or wheelbarrows of concrete around. But one of the things that Harvey did on the side was he built furniture. Huh, I thought. So I'd go, I'd go to Harvey's house and uh, go into his garage, and it was just a mess, just like his pickup truck. And uh, he'd show me that he'd, you know, go to the Sears catalog and look at a design and go, oh, I think I'm going to build this coffee table. And then he'd figure out how to do it and uh, build himself a coffee table. And I started to think about it. I had one job. I was on my own and poured flat work for a garage. And that was not that much fun and sort of a small disaster. Ran out of concrete. Oops, got to make some more. So anyway, I, uh, I decided, you know, if Harvey can do this stuff, and Joel was doing this metal work, and, uh, you know, I, maybe I could try my hand at, at, at it as well. And so uh, I got, uh, got the nerve to uh, give Harvey my notice and uh, had a job lined up. It was a carpentry job, outdoor, a playground structure. But uh, it was measuring and marking and building, and that's what I wanted to do. And so I did. You know, we don't, I don't think many of us end up where we think we're going to end up. Uh, this path was not laid out for me as as a youth. I, I mean, I, I went to college with people who said, I'm going to be a doctor, and by golly, they were going to be a doctor, and then everything they did was, was uh, designed for that, uh, or they were going to be a whatever, a baseball player. And then, you know, things happen. Things happen. Things change. I decided to head down this path and build furniture. Now, furniture is, is a, it's one of the things when you think about the business aspect of it, when you think about marketing this stuff, nobody needs it. You have to understand that nobody needs particularly custom-made furniture. It's not a, a need not like a toilet or, you know, it's running water or now electricity. Um, it's, it's a desire. I'd like to have nice furniture. I'd like to have a nice piece built. And understanding that distinction is important in your marketing efforts. I realized that I had to be selling something besides just this idea of craftsmanship. And that's, of course, what everyone starts with. Well, I'm building you a piece that's going to last for generations. You know, in the end, nobody gives a crap about that. I mean, it's nice. It's great. It really is great. But people are involved in the now. If on their deathbed they can look over to a table you've made and say, I'm going to be giving that to my daughter. That's great. That's really a plus. But we live in the now, and... That piece of furniture that you build for someone has to satisfy needs right now. The gravy part, I guess, is the fact that you're building it for generations to come. That's great. 
my standards have gotten higher and better over time as I realize the stuff that I made 40 years ago is still around and still looks good. And I might be able to jump up and down on it. I, maybe not all those pieces. I don't think that garage is still around. So that bench is long gone. But the bench I made for myself, for my basement shop, Joel lit out for New Zealand and, and made it as far as Hawaii, where he's still working on telescopes in an observatory there. And, and I inherited his little house. Jane and I moved into his little house and... Uh, I got myself a basement shop, so I built a bench and uh, had my radial arm saw, which was the first machine I bought, and I made things. It's a long, slow climb out of a basement shop. I got to tell you, it's you can't get a sheet of plywood into it. I couldn't. I had a little couple of turns to uh, get into the into the basement. It was close. It was a good commute. I got to say, it was a really good commute. But it was a um, forced kind of education that would have benefited from something more than reading. And that's all I had at the time. This new magazine called Fine Woodworking came out, and I decided I was a late subscriber. I came in at issue two and started to uh, gather as much information as I could. I was reading British authors, Ernest Joyce in particular, and Charles Hayward um, about joinery and how to build stuff, and just trying to understand. As I look back, uh, there's so much information that uh, I could have used. I remember spending an afternoon, literally hours, trying to decide whether to cut a dado into these legs for this router table. I was making, and I was going to cut a dado in to put a shelf in place. And actually, the router table still exists. Uh, it's a bad idea. There was no gluing surface, so it won't survive under any sort of rack or strain. But uh, those were the sorts of things I was ignorant about. And another, for instance, uh, my joiner. I had a little six-inch joiner. Oh, how I wish I had spent the extra $200. Back then, it was $100 an inch. I had $600. I bought a six-inch joiner. Just waited a little while longer and saved the money for a, for an eight-inch joiner. It would have saved me so much heartache. I had a little four-inch at the time, and that was terrible. A little bench top thing, and it was way too short. Um, but that extra width and length on the joiner really made a difference in, in my world. But I had a six-inch and uh, it was a power manic, and I could not, for the life of me, I could not set that fence straight. I could not get it. I mean, I set it square, but I couldn't get good results. It was always out of square. And it took me years, literally years, to realize two things. Number one, that the fence had to be set out of square in order to get a square cut. Something was cockeyed. The table, the cutter head, there was a bow in something, a casting. That's what I, I finally learned, is that I had to set it out of square in order to get square results. Which leads me to a, a really important conclusion. What has happened? What are the results that, are you, that you're getting? And if they're not the results you want, what do you have to change in order to get them? And finally I realized I had to set my fence out of square, tip it towards me just a little bit, and I would get square results. So what that it wasn't the textbook you want the results or you want textbook? I wanted results. The other thing I realized so much later is that, particularly when edge joining boards for uh, gluing up, say, a tabletop or a panel, you don't have to worry about square. Square is unimportant. 
You just run opposite faces to the fence, and even if the fence is a little bit out of square, one's at 89 degrees, let's say, the other one's at 91 degrees. It goes together, and it's a 180 supplementary angle. So those little things over the years uh, that I used to fuss and spend so much time worrying about weren't that really, uh, weren't that important. But it takes time to learn that stuff. It does. It takes time to learn that stuff. I had a, uh, a student come in, and uh, Stan came into the shop uh, last week, and he's going to take another class, and uh, he was a, a surgeon. He said, you know, there's a lot of similarities between what you do and what I did, and, uh, and, and what you learn over the years that's important and what you can let go of. And he, he mentioned that there was, in the, in the early years, he would get into spots that he had to figure a way out of. And later on in his career, he just didn't get into those spots. The same thing is true with, with furniture making. You realize, well, if I do this, 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 and this, I back myself into a corner and I have to walk through wet paint or step on the concrete that hasn't, hasn't set. You know, there are certain things that have to, uh, have to occur. And as you make those mistakes... As you get that experience, things become simpler. And that's really the key, is getting that experience. Beginners start off and they have this idea of, well, I want it to look like this. But they can't do that caliber of work yet. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And so they have to struggle through their you know, lack of skill at the, at the beginning. And it's just a part of the process. It is just a part. It's a difficult part. But you have to learn that patience. You have to learn to uh, cut yourself some slack over time. It's probably one of the more important things I've had to learn. Patience was a tough one, but patience comes. You just you just have to slow down. You have to slow down because you want to get somewhere fast. You try and do it in a hurry, and bad things will happen until you learn it. So learning to slow down and have patience was important. When things didn't go well. Having the ability to forgive yourself is as, as important as any tool I have at the bench. In the coming weeks, I'm going to start talking about the tools you should have, your toolkit. But I think the most important tool in your kit is the ability to forgive yourself for your many mistakes. Oh, they will be legion. Probably not yours, just, just mine. I'm just talking about me. And those mistakes that occur... You have to let go of. They are usually fixable. Uh, as I write in my book, Handmade, when I make a mistake now, I leave the room. I leave the room as quickly as I can and let the problem shrink to its normal size. Because at the moment, it's as big as a house. It's a giant. It's taking over all the airspace. It's sucking up the oxygen out of the room. But if I walk outside, go take a walk around the block if it's a bad problem, or just down to the corner and back, I can usually come back and say, oh, you know, I just have to do this and fix this. It'll take this long to do this. It usually takes far longer to convince yourself to, to fix the mistake than to actually fix it. Yes, I made a mistake. Admit it and fix it. You're going on and on and on about it, convincing yourself that it's right when in fact it's wrong. Own up and move on. Forgiveness is important. This has been Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. I'm going to quit babbling. Uh, thanks to Joel for all his help in uh, pointing me the right way. Ah, my thanks. It's been, uh, 
It's been a good run. And I hope it will continue for a good while longer. I will be um, having classes, teaching classes this summer at the studio. Please check out our website, northwestwoodworking.com. If you're interested in the mastery programs, please check out the website. There is information on those pages about the programs, the local program, the distance mastery program. Those are both part-time programs and the resident program, which is a 10-month program. If you like the podcast, support me on coffee and ask me a question. I'm going to uh, talk about uh, a question posed by one of, the, one of our listeners uh, concerning design in our next podcast. So if you've got a question, buy me a cup of coffee and uh, ask away. I'm happy to, uh, to answer those, those questions that, that pop up. Thanks again. Take care. Aloha.